Anybody else love the parables? Yeah, we love stories. Stories are so much better than lists and facts, aren't they? That's why Jesus talked in parables, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. This is a parable, but it's more than just, uh, uh, it doesn't remind us exactly of, of many of the other parables. I just dropped my glasses, so I'm just going to be making stuff up today. I'll just... Um, this is a parable about parables. Most parables, most, are about the kingdom of God, what it's like in the kingdom of God. But this parable is less about what it's like in the kingdom of God and more about the things that keep people out of understanding what God has for them, uh, um, being a part, being a citizen of this rule and reign of Jesus. And while we enjoy parables because stories are always a great way to explore big ideas, um, we still might wonder why Jesus didn't take a little more direct approach when he was teaching. Why so many times does he talk in stories, talk in parables? Why not just bullet points and lists? Wouldn't it be better? If ever, like the Ten Commandments, just easy to understand, right? You're like, don't do this. Got it. Don't do that. But it's not that easy to understand because we go, well, what about this? And what about this? And is this really? And how far could I go? And uh, how, how far can I stretch this long? But still, it would be kind of, there'd be something to it if we just opened up and Jesus just kind of, right? Like, why doesn't this passage sound something like this? Jesus saw a big crowd gathering and he said, I'm glad you're all here. Everybody sit down. You need to knock all, off all of the selfish, sinful living. And if you don't follow me, you're going to hell. And uh, I'm the only way to be saved. And thank you for coming. Now go home. Like why? Why all this about soils and seeds? Why not just teach in bullet points and lists? Why teach in parables when he could just speak plainly? Well, before we dig into the parable of the soil, I'd like to talk a little bit about why Jesus spoke in parables. He said it right there in, in verse 10, didn't he? In Luke 8, verse 10, Jesus said, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Who's he talking to? The disciples. So for those who have already chosen to follow Jesus, he is going to detail out what it's like to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. But for those who have not made a decision to follow him, it would be foolish to give them all of the, what it's like to be in the, uh, a follower of Jesus when they have not decided to be a follower of Jesus. So he says, it's been given to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Well, what's going on there? Is Jesus wanting some to not understand? Is Jesus, is there some like rabbinic tradition of trying to trick people? No, no, there's not. Far from that, Jesus isn't trying to keep people from understanding but he is recognizing something that has been true of people for all time. In fact, most commentators would say Jesus is latching onto something that actually comes from Isaiah 6. If you have your Bible and can quickly find the book of Isaiah, I can quickly find it because I put a ribbon in it. I put a bookmark. But my favorite is my favorite passage in the scriptures. I think if I get to ask, if I get asked to go speak anywhere, it's Isaiah 6. I love it. It's the story of uh, 
the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. We just sung the words with our first song, holy, holy, holy. It, it's uh, Isaiah spending all of chapter five. You've heard me say this before. All of chapter five, looking at his culture and going, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you, and woe is you, which he was right about all of it. And then he sees God and moves from woe is you to woe is me. And he sees the grandeur of God. He falls on his face before God. God redeems him right there. The angel, the seraphim, the coals, the whole thing. You remember this story maybe. And then famously, uh, the Lord says to Isaiah, I need someone to send. Who will I send? And Isaiah says, send me. Well, do you remember the message that, that God sends Isaiah into the world with? It picks up in Isaiah 6 and somewhere around verse 9. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Now that is an interesting message for a prophet to bring, isn't it? Isaiah is supposed to go into the town square of people that claim to be followers of Yahweh. This is Israel. This is the church. These are God's people. And he's supposed to stand in the middle of their midst and go, hey, just keep on ignoring God. See what happens to you. Keep listening, but still not hearing. Keep seeing everything, but living for yourself. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Again, the message is not, Isaiah, you go do the work of dulling the people, but rather, Isaiah, these people continue to reject me. He is not going to people who have never heard the grace and goodness of Yahweh. He's going to people who have heard this their whole lives and have grown duller and duller and duller as they have continued to reject him. The message is simple in Isaiah's time, and it's not that complicated in Jesus' time. The, the, the message, the entrance into the kingdom of God, the entrance into Israel in Isaiah's time is turn from idols, care for the poor. Now, do you think if Isaiah stood in the middle of the, the temple court and said, everybody turn from idols, they would have gone... <clears throat> Why hasn't anybody told us this before? No, they had heard this their whole lives. They had just become comfortable with worshiping God a little and the idols a little. In fact, maybe that message would have even set them going, yes, yes, I hope other people are listening to this. But their eyes had gone dull. Their ears had gone dull. These people have rejected that message before and it has dulled their ears. Their eyes are heavy. Isn't that beautiful imagery? But Isaiah, don't give up. Go and continue to tell them the story. That same message over and over will only make them duller, more rebellious. It's like telling a thief that it's wrong to steal. If Imagine we had a world-renowned, I don't know, he's not very talented if he's a thief who's world-renowned. But let's say a very successful thief that we don't know his name. And we said, hey, we just want you to know that stealing's wrong. Now, would we expect him to go, <gasps> nobody has ever told me that stealing is wrong before. No, he's heard that his whole life. He got past that a long time ago. And in fact, if you are his dad, brother, mom, sister, and if every time he talks to you, you say, you know, stealing's wrong, he's, it's not going to make him one day snap out of it. Rather, it's going to make him hate your guts. Are you with me? So Jesus says, look, 
just like in Isaiah's time. The people who have made this decision to follow me, man, I'll tell you all about it. But people who are coming with judgmental hearts, people who are coming with hearts who are bent on themselves, well, I tell them stories because maybe a great story might get their attention, might turn their heart. Jesus looks at Israel in his time and thinks this is a lot like Isaiah's time. They already know the words. As Jesus preaches this gospel of repentance, had they heard that they needed to repent before? Had not John told them? And the message of Jesus is different. The message of Jesus is, hey, the kingdom of God is near. Still, it is repentance that must take place to enter this kingdom. So, as the disciples come to him and say, hey, why are you talking parables? His answer is not because we're being sneaky and trying to get as few people in the kingdom of God as possible. Rather, he's saying, look, these guys have heard a message of God loves you. Please turn over and over and over. Their hearts have grown dull. What might be effective is stories, is parables. So to those who've already chosen to follow him, he'll speak plainly. But for those who are just coming to see what the fuss is about, or people who are coming to judge, plain talk would only dull them further. It would be loving, but it wouldn't be loving, but maybe a good story. Let me give you an example. I, you know, my, I think my favorite parable is the parable of the mustard seed. And if I had the, to preach the parable of the mustard seed in, in one sentence, it would be, hey, you bunch of really religious Jews, the kingdom of God is going to include everybody, even the Gentiles. Now, if Jesus were to just gather all of the Sanhedrin and go, hey, Gentiles are in the kingdom of God too. Well, that would have fallen on very deaf ears. But if he says, it's like a mustard seed that grows and it grows so big that even the birds find sanctuary there. Well, maybe there's an opportunity for learning. So these parables, this parable, this story is to get us thinking about all the other stories. This is a parable about why Jesus speaks in parables. And as we continue to go through the gospel of Luke, it'll be important to remember. Parables are intended to get us thinking. Parables are even in, intended to offend us a little bit. In fact, if you have not been cut by the words of Jesus a little bit when you leave here today, well, you might pray for ears to hear. So let's talk about the parable of the seed. And the seed it is. The seed is the hero of this story. What is doing the action? What is the conqueror in this story of the four soils? Is it not to highlight how wonderful this seed is? Jesus, about to talk to this large crowd of people that are coming from all over, wants to highlight not necessarily the people, but rather the seed, the, the word, the, the message that he has. The seed is the active force in the story. It is the seed, not the soil. The sower sows indiscriminately. You know the picture of this, uh, this guy. You can picture this sower out in the fields with a bag of seeds slung over his shoulder and walking around and casting the seed like this. He sows indiscriminately. It's not little hole, little seed, little hole, little seed, but rather the broadcast method. The ground has 
no ability to grow, any, to, to grow anything apart from the seed. This is not so the good soil can brag about how good a soil it is. No, it's completely powerless to do anything without the seed. Verse 5 even says that as the sower goes to sow his seed. So this is a particular message, a particular seed. It is the sower going out and knows exactly what he is doing, what he is sowing, the places that he casts the seed. It's a particular seed that the sower throws. So the seed is scattered indiscriminately. I want you to think about these two things. The seed is scattered indiscriminately everywhere, but it is the exact seed that was intended to be scattered. Man, that'll preach, won't it? The Word of God is available to everyone, but it won't be compromised. It won't be turned into something it's not. The Word of God is available to all, but only those who deny themselves and follow Christ fully will grow, will reap the benefits of it. Verse 11 tells us exactly what this seed is. Jesus tells us that the seed is indeed the word of God. So Jesus invites people into the kingdom of God by the word of God. You with me? Jesus goes to invite people into God's kingdom by means of his word. There's a bunch of, you know, uh, exact language in there. It is the word of God. It's the things that God says, the word, the logos, the communication of God. And of course, it shouldn't be lost on us that Jesus is the word of God. This is the kind of stuff that just makes me love Jesus and love the scripture so much, that Jesus is talking about casting the seed, which is the word of God. John identifies him as the word of God. So it is the word of God that casts the word of God. Is that not beautiful? So it is Jesus on which we build our lives. It is Jesus that is the foundation of the kingdom of God, and it is the teaching of Jesus that gives us instruction to live our lives. Jesus is the communication of God. We know God because of Jesus, and Jesus also not only is the word, but says the words of God. We know God because of what Jesus taught. So Luke has already revealed to us that a good life, a strong life, the life you want, is built on Jesus and his teaching. That's the unshakable life. So, the thing that is going to make all the difference in our lives, both eternally and in the here and now, is how, how we respond to the word of God. <clears throat> I think we are taught <clears throat> in our culture for a lot of good reasons. We are taught to be critical thinkers. Anybody have a problem with that? That's, that's a good thing, right? But that can make us pretty judgmental as we think about the Word of God. And so we might just consider, you know this parable, you've heard it before, we could probably draw straws and whoever gets the short straw could preach this sermon. And yet, we might think about the point of this parable before we even break down the four soils. You know full well the point of this parable is not the most judgmental soil is the one that produces the much fruit, but rather the soil that is most open to the implanted word of God. 
is the soil that grows. And you know, as we're talking about growth, this parable gets preached for good reasons. I don't think it's bad. As an evangelistic thing many times, that, that what growth looks like in the Christian life is more disciples, that what it means to, to bear fruit is to win souls for Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. But that's the salvation is the starting line of the word of God, not the finish line of the word of God. As we're talking about being the kind of Christian that Jesus is calling us to be, we're not just talking about somebody who got saved, heard the word of God and got saved. Rather, we're talking about somebody who is so committed to the word of God, so committed to Jesus' teaching, that it is growing in every aspect of their life. That there is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control growing in our life. So don't just make this the good soil is the one that got saved. Rather, make this. The good soil is the heart where the love and rule and reign of God is constantly producing Christian maturity, making us more like Him. Because God's Word has a lot to say about entering the kingdom of God, entering the family of God, but God's Word has a lot to say also about training His children in the, in the family of God. So, verse 4 says that great crowds gathered. Lots of different folks with lots of different motives for being there. Lots of different personalities. And Jesus looks out and knows that there are going to be lots of different ways that his words will be received. Just imagine the scene as great crowds gather. And what's on Jesus' mind first to teach his disciples is, guys, watch. I'm going to say something that everybody hears. It's going to be the word of God, and it is going to be received in very different ways. I think it's kind of fun to see how Jesus is entering into a rabbinic tradition of telling parables here. He's acting, as he usually does, is acting very much like a Jewish rabbi, but doing it in a way that reinvents the whole, uh, the whole culture. But a four kinds parable was a pretty common thing. Can I tell you a couple other four kinds parables that I really like? One I read in a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus a long time ago, and it's the parable of the four learners, and this was a rabbinic parable, and it said there's four kind of learners. One's a funnel, in one ear and out the other. Any teachers in the room? You will recognize these four learners, I promise. One kind of learner is a funnel, in one ear and out the other. Another kind of learner is a sponge. They just believe everything they're told. 15 minutes on the internet, this guy's a wreck. Just, just everything, just sponge, just soak up everything they hear. That's another kind of learner. Neither of those learners are, are wise. There's another kind of learner that is like a wine press, and this is me naturally. A wine press is the thing where you put all of the grapes in the wine press, and then you stomp on it, and all of the good juice leaves, and all you have left is the junk. And in my dopey, judgmental heart, I naturally am a wine press. I will listen to any lecture, sermon, podcast, whatever, be done with it, and all I can tell you is all the ways I disagree. All of the, the ways I go, I would have done that differently. I think he missed something here. But there's this fourth kind of learner that's a sieve. 
And the sieve is something that you shake it and all the bad stuff falls through and the good stuff is left. And after I read that, I was cut to the core and I was like, man, I want to be a sieve. I'm tired of being a wine press. I want to be where I can listen to any sermon, podcast, read any book. And instead of only hanging on to the junk, I can say, Holy Spirit, did you have anything in there for me? And I can hang on to the good word that God has for me. One more four kinds parable, just because they're fun. There's the four sons at the Seder. Um, at the Seder meal, there, uh, there, it's said that there are four kinds of sons. One is the wise son, and the wise son um, asks, what is the meaning of all of this? So the wise son says, what are the commandments, the story, the testimony? What are they all for? How do I apply them to my life? Then there's the wicked son, and the wicked son asks, what is the meaning of all of this to you? Why do you care, mom and dad, about this stuff? And then there's the simple son who just says, what does it mean? He just wants to know the story and doesn't apply it to his life at all. And then there's the other son who doesn't know to ask questions at all. This is a wonderful four kinds parable. It challenges us to say, what kind of child are you? Are you the child that, I don't have any interest in this. I, I, I'm not going to ask any questions at all. Are you the one who says, well, well, what's this stream or that stream or this guy or that guy? What's it mean to them? Or rather, are you this wise child who says, what do these stories mean to me to apply them to my life? So the wisest person is one that takes a story and not only understands its meaning, but also is able to apply the meaning of the story to their lives. This story in Luke, in all the synoptic gospels, is that kind of story. So Jesus, this is the kind of story Jesus tells as the crowds gather. And you know, we're just going to go through the four soils, but today you could just hear the story. You know the story. Like I said, most of you, you could teach this. You've heard it a million times. You could just hear it and go, well, we're in Luke. You got to get through the familiar parables as you go. Or we could be a sieve and hold on to what is good. We could be the wise child at the table who asks, how do I apply this to my life? We could be the good soil, get everything else out of the way that love, peace, joy, kindness, patience might grow in us. So verse five through eight is the story of the four soils. The rocks, the road, the rocks, the weed, and the good soil. And again, this, is a, this parable is useless to us unless we have ears to hear how it might expose a weakness in us. Because while four kinds parables are good, because they simplify things, they break everybody down into four different kinds of people. Some people are like this, like this, like this, like this, and it's simple and wonderful and easy to understand. But the truth is, we might hear this parable and go, I've got some shallow, rocky soil in me. There's some weeds in my life that need to be done away with. I've been that hard-headed road. We can all be rich soil where the Word of God can bear fruit, but we have to have ears to hear. So consider the four soils. Jesus looks out on the crowd and knows that in some people's lives, there really isn't even a chance for the Word of God to be sown at all. For one reason or another, there's hardness in them. 
I shouldn't even say them. Can we make this parable? For some of us, there's hardness in us. It's like casting a seed on road. Maybe it's arrogance. They just automatically know they're right. We. Maybe it's comfort. They don't want to be challenged by new growth in their life. But there are a few things to observe. Eight, Luke 8, 5 says that some fell upon, uh, along the path and were trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. The first thing to observe about the road is that the path is the place that most people travel. You can tell the path because it's really common. I bet if we sent, if we had the ability and the desire to send a, I don't know, an email or a survey or something to everyone in Seaside and we said, hey, how do you think the world gets better? How is it that we move forward as a people? How is it in your life that you can promote your own thriving and the thriving of those around you? I bet we would end up with political answers and we'd end up with social answers and we'd end up with philosophical answers. But how many of those answers would be, man, we just all have to submit to God and his will? That would be the least common. The road is easy to see. It's where most people are walking. Second observation about the road is that the seed is short-lived on the path. It doesn't just sit there and get trampled over and over, but it's actually stolen away by birds. The 12th verse says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts that they might not believe and be saved. So the path is not neutral. It doesn't just happen, but rather the sower has an enemy, an accuser, who can't attack the sower. So he commits himself instead to stealing the seed that is cast. You know, I wonder, is Jesus, what's going on in Jesus' mind? As he sees reality so much more fully than we than we ever could. I wonder what tools the devil, this accuser, uses to snatch the good seed of God from hearts. Is it pride? Is it anger? Is it abuse? Is it sin in the church? Remember, I love to say this as much as I can, the problem with the world is not sin in the culture, the problem with the world is sin in the church. Is that? What snatches this word from people's ears? The devil's been around a long time. He has many strategies, but, but the truth remains that Jesus looks out on this crowd and says, some of these folks are so in the grip of the accuser. Some have so bought into the lie of self so fully that the words I'm saying aren't even going to get in there. And then there are some folks in the crowd that are just going to have a really great day or two listening to Jesus. They're going to enjoy hearing Jesus talk. They might even consider themselves a follower of Jesus. And, and they'll have a fun memory of this time they heard Jesus speak, but their lives won't have changed at all, just like casting seeds in a rocky place where the soil is shallow. The sixth verse of Luke 8 says, And some fell on the rocks, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Man, the first observation of the of the rocks is that it began to grow, but it never reached maturity. It began to grow. This is the hardest part about being a youth pastor. 
is seeing rocks and weeds choke out faith. The seed that gets planted in the, in the rocks is a lot like me playing the clarinet. Did you know I played the clarinet? I don't play the clarinet. <clears throat> but I did a long time. From the time I was seven to the time I was 14, I had private clarinet lessons every week with this woman who was mean if I didn't practice. And my mom, and she was great, wonderful teacher. Um, and my mom would, you know, instruct me to practice every day. And I did. I have pictures of me sitting on the hearth of our fireplace with my golden retriever just sitting there, you know, mesmerized, listening to me murder this poor clarinet, you know. But I got to 14 and decided it wasn't my thing. And as I stand here right now, there is no fruit at all. I could not grab a clarinet and play it, nor a saxophone. All I played was the radio for high school. And a lot of people, that's faith. There was a season where there was actual genuine concern, actual genuine enjoyment. One of the most heartbreaking things that ever happens to me is I run across a, a, a youth group kid from you know, years gone by, and they've obviously walked away from the Lord, and, you know, people do. I love them. I uh, love them anyway. And, uh, but what I hear is, oh, I miss those days in youth group. Those were the best days of my life, and I just want to go, man, Jesus is still waiting. But this seed that, planted on, that was planted in the rocks, it just never had a chance to reach maturity because it didn't get watered. See, the thing was, my parents gave me everything that I needed to be a real, actual musician. They gave me private lessons and a nice, expensive horn and disciplined me to practice. And yet, because I never took it on my own to be the one who would make this happen, it didn't happen at all. The Second observation about the rocks is that it's a time of testing that stunts the growth. And in Luke 8, 13, Luke writes that the one on the rocks are those that when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, fall away. So some are going to hear Jesus speak and leave full of joy, but then trials are going to come. Do you see the, just the wisdom of Jesus? He knows this is going to happen. Look, some of these people are going to leave this meeting and they're going to leave with joy. They hear the story that Jesus has to tell. Eternal life, abundant life, God's love, it all sounds great. But then trials are going to come. And because there was no more effort past that initial joy, they just won't be able to continue to trust God. There's no roots. And this idea of roots is a common ancient picture of maturity. So many of us come to Jesus in an emotional moment. That's good. I'm all for coming to Jesus with an emotional moment. I'm still a youth pastor faking being a senior pastor. I, I love a good camp high. You know, let's go away to camp right now. Let's do it. That's a wonderful thing. And some of us come in a really dark time and we find the Lord and it gives us great joy. Or some of us uh, have some kind of experience that we go, yeah, that, that I'm in. And yet, there is not the work of learning to be rooted and grounded in love. And how rooted are you? Have you studied? It's about becoming a scholar 
And you go, man, not everybody's going to be a scholar. You're not a book scholar. Jesus never sent anyone away with a library and said, go read that and then come back to me. Rather, what he said is, follow me. It's becoming a relational scholar. It's not making the same mistake with Jesus that the guy made with his wife when somebody said, what's your wife's favorite flour? And he said, general, all purpose for baking. <laughs> that was terrible. You shouldn't laugh. If you laugh at that kind of thing, it encourages me. <laughs> but that's a story about a guy that didn't know his wife at all, right? And there's some of us that come to Jesus in an emotional moment, but we don't take the relational time to actually know him, to follow him. If you don't take the time to really know Jesus, you might, you might walk away when trials come. And then there'll be other folks in the crowd that Jesus is looking out on that also enjoy being around Jesus. They may even hear Jesus preach a sermon. You think similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe that's the same material that Jesus covered. And, and maybe it rang true in their hearts and, and there would be moments of, of commitment. Yes, I want to not just do what I've heard before, but as Jesus is outlining life, I'm going to do that. But they too would turn and go home. And while they, and while they were on the way, all the trouble of home would start to creep into their hearts and minds. And just like weeds that are planted among wheat, the growth will be choked out. Tiffany and I both have this, actually, we probably have several memories that we've amalgamated into one memory um, because I, we talked about it this week and we disagreed on the details. You're not going to believe that. Um, but the way I remember it, we had taken a vacation, I think it was to Big Bear, and, uh, which is the mountains in Southern California, and had had the most fabulous time, just so enjoyed getting away, and we had a, you know, just, just awesome, like, went out to dinner and went on hikes and the whole thing, and just had a great vacation, and felt so rested, you know what I mean? Just felt like, ah, things are going to be okay, and then as we were driving home, we came uh, you know, out of Big Bear, and you just see the valley of smog. And Tiffany said what I remember about it, what she remembers about it, is just remembers driving down the mountain and thinking of the stack of bills that were sitting on the kitchen counter. And I think I was driving down thinking about all the things at work that had to be done. And in fact, taking some time off was going to make the next week even much harder. And we went from like, wow, what a great break. We should do this all the time, to actually going, ugh. All of the joy is being stripped away as the cares and problems of life choke out the joy. Some fell among thorns, and as they grew, the thorns uh, grew up with it and choked it out. The problem with the weedy soil is that the Word of God is not the only seed planted in the soil. And this might be the most common situation for Christian folks. You know, Paul says to capture every thought, to not be distracted by the philosophies of men, to put away what is, what is earthly. But many people, while they really do, we should speak us, some of us, maybe some of us standing on this platform, really do have a sincere desire to follow Jesus, but also have a sincere desire to have other things grow in your life. It's not a lack of sincerity, it's a lack of purity. The reason this seed never grows to maturity is not that the person was insincere, but they just wanted more than Jesus. 
They want Jesus. They also want career. They also want family. They also want the cares and problems of this world to go away. And so Luke 8, 14 says, And for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not grow mature. Faith is about trusting God with the cares and pleasures of life. If God is over here and pleasure is over there, there's not going to be maturity in your life. Can I say that again? If you think that I, I had a friend who used to say that he had this phrase and he, I, I thought it was hilarious, but when he wanted to get in an argument or something, he'd be like, I left Jesus in the car. You know what he's talking about, right? That makes sense. If pleasure is over here and your relationship with God is over here, or if provision is over here, and you just got to, in this world, you just got to play by the world's, you know, rules, and your relationship with God is over here, there's not going to be maturity. The people that are that good soil, that maturity grows in their life, are the people that go, I'm going to trust God with pleasure. I'm going to trust God with provision. I'm going to trust God with the cares of the world. But too many want to live in two worlds, like, like Elijah talked about, hesitating between two opinions, dancing on either side of a fence, like the lukewarm people in, from Laodicea in the book of Revelation, wanting to live with one foot in this world and one foot in the kingdom of God. Jesus looks out and almost with a broken heart goes, some people are going to try to live in two, two worlds so desperately that there's not going to be any growth. And then there's this good soil, which is just soil. It's just a place for the, the seed to grow, for the word of God, God to grow. Verse 15 says, as for um, that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word of God hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So just very simply, who hold it fast. Do you want to mature in Christ? Do you fruit to grow in your life? You want to bear the gift of maturity? Well, it's going to have to be that you hold fast to it through ups and downs, through doubts and struggles, which, by the way, highlights the relational nature of, of the kingdom of God. Again, if you ask any people that have been married for 50 years and ask them, hey, what's the secret to happily being married in 50 years? They're going to tell you a story of holding fast to each other through ups and downs, through difficulties, and valleys. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Honest and good. You know, good is frequently the word tov in the scriptures. You know how much I love that word. That's not in view here. Rather, it's a heart that's not filled with, filled with pretense. A heart that is not complicated, but rather just true, honest about our feelings, seeing things like Jesus does, Able to make Jesus and the kingdom of God our number one priority. Man, just before you go, can I read this next passage to you and make one comment? Luke 8, 16 through 18 says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those may, uh, may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be 
known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who is not, uh, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Come on Wednesday and we'll, we'll tear into that and, and figure it all out. But it's so familiar and yet so different than the passage in Matthew 5 that I think I'd like to point it out. Matthew 5 tells a similar story about the light sitting on a stand and it illuminating the house. And so the point of that story is very obviously, so go be the light of the world. Jesus says, so be, a, be the city on the hill, be the lamp on the stand. Don't hide your light under a bushel and go be the light of the world. And yet this is very different for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made uh, known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. See, as Jesus talks about this light, the point in Luke is a little different. In Luke, what Jesus has to say is, I am the light of the world. Nothing that is hidden in the darkness of your heart is going to be hidden forever. It will all come to light. So would you be careful how you hear? Would you please not let arrogance or pretense or wanting other things be in the way of just a true and good heart where the word of God can grow? Man, if you have ears, listen. Are there things in your life that you want that are not Jesus? Would you repent and make Jesus all you want? Is there a lack of pursuing Jesus relationally to the point where you know how to fake it on a Sunday morning, but the seed is in shallow soil? You just don't know Jesus very well. Would you repent and become a disciple, a scholar, follow him? Be careful how you hear. 